Okay. All right. Welcome everyone back to Dissecting Popular IT Nerds. Today we have Pascal Medjon on the show in Lake Forest, Illinois. Is that correct? You're in Chicago? Yeah, we are. We're actually uh, consolidating up to uh, <laughs> Wisconsin as we speak, but uh, okay. yeah, we're currently out just outside of Chicago. Chicago is an interesting place. Every time I go there, I feel like I'm in a different world. I don't know why. It's just, you know, like if I go to a Cubs game or something, I don't know. Like, are you mm-hmm. like near the city or like, you know, Chi Town, yeah. whatever we call that there? Last time I went to a Cubs game, it was just like a weird circus arena of just craziness kind of going on. It was just very interesting. <laughs> and I've said this before. Yeah, I, felt like I, was, I felt like I was in like Dick Tracy or something. I was like, it's like, this is kind of like a, there's, you know, like batting cages everywhere. And it was just interesting, you know, and I'm from Boston. Well, not really from Boston, I'm from Massachusetts, but when you go to a Red Sox game, it's, it's just a different circus. It's a different circus than, you know, a Cubs game circus. So. Yeah. I don't think I've ever been to another ballpark, but I've been to Wrigley Field plenty of times. And so before the Cubs won the world series, before they became, you know, like a playoff team, uh-huh. uh, it was basically just like a, a party town. It was a place for people to, to have drinks, drink beer, it was just the batting cages. And then and now it's full of, uh, the same thing, but <laughs> more of the, the Oh, now you guys are like a legitimate baseball team. Now you're like a legitimate yeah, exactly. team. Okay. Um, so, you know, I, I don't drink at all anymore. I used to. I haven't drank in like 20 years or something like that. I, I don't drink. But um, yeah, so I was down there walking through, walking through completely sober and was like, this is crazy. <laughs> um <laughs> Like so anyways, man, not, not that I has anything to do with like IT whatsoever. It's just uh, every time okay. I Chicago, it, it brings me back to that. But hey, man, why don't we just start off this way? Because I know we got some important stuff to talk about today. But what was, um, I haven't asked this from a few guests in a while. What was your first computer? How did you get started out in this, in this world of technology? Oh, man. So that's the, uh, the IBM XT. Yeah, that's going back. Um, it's funny because I, I kind of thought you'd, would ask that since I've been listening to your podcast. And uh, uh-huh. <laughs> I looked at a, a YouTube video of the IBM XT booting up. I, I wanted to show it to my wife because she's never had a computer that old. And uh, <laughs> I just look at her watching. The Good for you. Good for you. You married young. <laughs> can we make this, as about, <laughs> let's make this about as inappropriate of a show as we can today? Anyways, keep going. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it's just like, and even I couldn't even like believe how, um, it, doesn't even, it doesn't even sound like a computer, right? There's like this slow, clunky, whirring up sound with a drive. It almost sounds like if you opened it up, it would just be like a medieval machine with like gears inside. And, um, yeah, yeah. yeah. It would be running on it punch just, cards almost. Did it have like the, the green <laughs> screen? Was it a green screen? Um, uh, no, we had a, it was a white screen. Mm. No, like the one, the video that I found was exactly like the machine that we had. It was just so nostalgic. And we had a hard drive in ours, which was like, uh-huh. You know, mind blowing when people saw that, and uh, I think my dad paid something like four thousand dollars for it, which is insane. Um, and all you could really do is just like type documents and print them out. Yes, it had a hard drive, though. You mean as opposed yeah, to we had a, as opposed to a boot disk, which no one knows. Many many, many know, and many do not know. Is of course. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Don't don't tap those floppy disks either, otherwise they'll never be readable again. Or, or leave your magnets, I don't know, on top. <laughs> like, I lost my term paper. And instead of like, you know, the dog ate my homework, I was like, I lost my term paper because uh, my mom put a magnet on top of the disc or, you know, like that, that would be, like, that'd be a more memorable excuse, I guess. So, okay. So 
so walk me through this, walk me through this, um, I don't know, development real quick. Did you, did you think you would be in technology? Like I thought I never would. Um, I, um, yeah, I knew I would because my dad, um, basically pushed it. He'd be even at like a Mac and you know, all this exposure to technology. I'm thinking about, um, as a kid, you know, we had basically the closest thing to space camp that you could at our school. Mm. Um, we had a really great teacher in fifth grade, Mrs. Beal. Um, she created like this kid space program. And it, it, we actually had like this, this space shuttle that we could assemble. We'd be at like in the, we started out in the school gym and then eventually went to like colleges and would demonstrate this thing. And uh, we had, you know, like a mission control. Somebody would donate computers for us to use. Um, mm. There was a software too. This, I don't know if you remember Spectrum Holobyte. No. Um, they had this, no, okay, that goes really back far then. They had this program called Orbiter where it would just simulate a, a shuttle launch, putting a payload in orbit, all these things. So mm-hmm. none of these computers were networked. So we all had to like, you know, do all this stuff individually at the same time on this computer. And mm-hmm. we would, uh, you know, some of us would be in mission control. Some of us would be actually in the, the, uh, the space shuttle. Mm-hmm. And we would have uh, all these missions and plans and details and checklists. And, you know, so those are, those are things that my dad, my parents got us involved in. And what in what uh, age were you? Like like can you remember like what grade oh, you were? Yeah, that was fifth grade. So I don't know what age was that, like nine, that's, ten. Well I stayed back in first like grade. So that means I was eleven. Okay. You were like a normal age, like ten. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. So let me ask you this, and this is just I just popped into my head, but like what was the you know, prior to I guess us going through puberty and life completely changing and altering. Mm-hmm. What did you do? What is there a memory that you remember back from a kid that was just like, this was like the most memorable fun time. Did, did you have like, you know, did you have that type of childhood where you had a good childhood? Some people would be like, I know I blank out my entire childhood, um, you know, and, uh, but do you, is there something that you remember doing as a kid that was just very memorable, either technology wise or just in general? Cause I think it might give us some insight into, I don't know something who knows um yeah it was just maybe a bunch of different examples but uh i had a great childhood so we were pretty close to my uh, my cousins my aunts uncles uh-huh. um so you know we would get together and everybody had computers too so like when the kids got together it was you know if we weren't outside we were inside on the computer doing something it was like playing playing sierra games or things like that like what okay so um, what were you doing what were you playing just curious Oh, like, you know, like the old Space Quest, the old King's Quest games, and just, just a bunch Quest. of different types of... Heroes yeah, Quest. Heroes Quest. Yeah, exactly. I don't know, yeah. We didn't, never played that one, like Gold Rush. There, was, there were a ton of really great, like, Sierra mm. strategy games that really made you think. And, um, you did mention that you played outside, so that's good. <laughs> we did, yeah. <laughs> we had a mix, you know, it was like, they wouldn't let us stay inside all day. That's kind of, uh, you know, the same way where you don't want your kids staring at the tablet, because then... Were you like a country boy? Did you grow, were you a country boy or did you grow up in the city? Um, in the suburbs. So we were close enough where my dad could work in Chicago. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, we, we lived in the, uh, in the suburbs. Literally like the Burbs. Remember that movie, The Burbs? Yep. That was, my, fa- that was yeah. my favorite movie growing up. <laughs> of all movies. Yeah, like, kind of- like why that one? You know, like it could be anything. Like why was that one like one of my favorite movies? I don't know. Just was. It reminds me of the uh, the homeowners association. There's always like some guy with the binoculars, like watching everybody else see what they're doing. 
<laughs> All right. So let's make sure the bylaws aren't broken. <laughs> let's talk about something actually. Maybe, maybe I don't. I don't. We, we may have lost some people already. Either that, or we, we've really gained a lot of <laughs> listeners. We, we've done one or the other. Oh. I don't know. But uh, let's talk about let's talk about packaging. Um, okay. And maybe sustainability, or or maybe just give me kind of sure. How does IT fit in in your company? Because there's a couple of things, right? Is IT a cost center at your company, or is IT this? you know, wonderful um, central communication hub where everyone trusts you and loves you and, and listens to you and, and really vibes off you? I think we've, uh, we've really grown it from a cost center to a place where, you know, we want people to bring ideas. We want them to, uh, you know, we want to be, uh, that, that came from the top level down where they actually incorporated mm-hmm. us into more of mm-hmm. the strategic side understand how the company runs, like, hey, these are the problems that we're dealing with. You know, we want to understand how technology can solve them, um, you know, how we can address problems, how we can move more towards a digital. When did that, okay, so here's a good presence. question. So you, mm-hmm. you've been at the same company for 15 years yeah. and 11 months. Yep. That means you came in after paranoia sat in, um, set in, I guess right. is the correct word. Um, so you came in kind of, uh, you know, 2004-esque. So that's where, like, you know, technology is, is kind of, it's becoming something. And it's absolutely a cost center, I would imagine, back then. What year, what was, oh, yeah. when did it change? When did it change? When did, um, when were you guys like, you know, like, we really need to take this technology stuff seriously? I mean, back then you had to take it seriously because it, it made jobs work easier and faster and crunch numbers right. and all that, all, you know, like, you know, why, why are you using an abacus? You should be using a calculator, obviously. But <laughs> when did it change to something different? And did you notice anything change? Did you guys change it? Were you responsible for it? Am I jumping ahead too much? T- tell me a story. No, I think that's great. Um, and it's different for everybody too. Like uh, from the, on the executive side, you know, uh, we certainly were a cost center, probably still are to some people where you see like, you know, we're spending money on things and, um, you know, we try to emphasize the business speak and the ROI and things like that. But, you know, slowly over time, you know, different uh, aspects, different parts of the business started to uh, partner with IT or, you know, we would reach out and do those things. Uh, one thing when I started working for the uh, VP of operations, he told me, uh, you know, Hey, we're going to go on the offensive. And uh, you know, I wanted an explanation of what does that mean? And he was saying, that, you know, <laughs> instead of like waiting for people to come to you and say like, you know, Hey, we need, we have these needs and blah, 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 blah. You know, even if you're up to your eyeballs and work, you know, you need to go out there and reach out, just take people to lunch, um, you know, understand their problems. You know, it's really just a people processing first and technology is, is, is second, potentially the answer. You know? So uh, really understand that we're not a partner with the, with the company. Even when I want to be onboard new people, uh, it could be, you know, a manager or just even somebody with an entry level position. I always tell them like, you know, hey, we're here to, to, to work for you. so. Uh, whatever you guys need, you know, is, uh, you know, if there's like software you guys need, if there's ideas you want to bring, you know, we're totally open to those. We want to partner with you. Um, so we try to make it like a very all branch approach and, and, uh, we really want to work with people to, to move those things forward. Um, and so, yeah, that's, that's been working pretty well, I think overall, because I think they trust us, uh, as far as the executive management, the board, we've had to make, you know, numerous presentations from a bunch of different people and, uh, the feedback is always very positive. So, you know, we, uh, we just basically see ourselves as a, as a partnership and a way to, uh, and, and 
now that there's also products and solutions and guidance and things that help you, you know, push that that objective forward, it makes it a lot more easier and possible. So, the I like this. We're going on the offensive. It makes me think of yeah, like, so it makes me think of like never office, that. I don't know why it made me think of like office space. Like, look, we got to protect our jobs. We got to. Uh, <laughs> I exist because the bots. I, I I exist because uh, I'm the people person. I talk to the engineers for you. Um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know what I mean. We're going on the offensive here. You know, you're really interviewing for your job. Uh, anyways, the what does um, you know what does it look like? taking people out to lunch. How do you choose like who we're going to, I mean, maybe we, maybe, maybe we don't want to be so biased here, but how do you choose like, Hey, today, who are we going to talk with? Like, maybe we can walk through this. Uh, you know, maybe, maybe we can help someone go on the offensive here that, that might not be on the offensive out there. How do you choose who or what to talk with? Or how do you make these type of decisions? And, you know, Hey, you know, let's go out to lunch or what's the best tactic. Let's go out and get coffee. Maybe it's a, uh, I know John, Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I know John's on the keto diet, so maybe we're, maybe we're going to, uh, we're going here. Or maybe I know John likes donuts, so we're going to here. I mean, what, you know, what is it? Like, how do you decide and, and make decisions for people? Yeah, that's, it's funny you mentioned the name, the, the name John, because, uh, that's well, John Smith, I mean, John Smith is like the number one name <laughs> in America. So you just say John Smith. Yeah. Everyone has John. <laughs> yeah. So he was the one that uh, basically brought us to the table. Um, he came in one day he's our president and COO. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's like, you know, why, why aren't you guys in the staffings, you know, our bi-weekly like uh, leadership, you know, everybody from, you know, like the, the manager from each group uh, and the executive management meet at least every couple of weeks and they, they review things. And everybody kind of gives a, a synopsis of things that they're working on and, you know, try to keep on the same page. So there you get exposure to like what everybody else is, concerned about what they're working on at the company and you can establish those, those personal relationships and, and partner. Mm-hmm. Um, so those are great opportunities to kind of see, you know, the challenges that people are working on and, you know, um, you can uh, just kind of meet afterwards offline and uh, say, Hey, you know, I'd be willing to partner, help you with this. And, you know, I have some applications and things that I'm working on that you know, may help you with what you're working on. And, um, you know, there's just, plenty of opportunities from that and, and even just the, the, the managers on the line, you know, like, uh, is everyone's job or, defined? Is there a very clear, it sounds like in your company, there's a, <laughs> I, I can always tell when a company is working well because every department, it, it's like division is unstated, but we know what it is. And I'm sure it is stated. Mm-hmm. It's, just, it's just people talk as if they know what it is. In other words, every department's working on a certain thing. They're working on a certain challenge to overcome something, but it all points to one thing. What is that one thing? Oh, for us, um, you know, it would be it would be the quality of product, really, because we, uh, you know, our company's mantra is that you know we provide the best quality packaging since we work mainly for the pharmaceutical industry. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's all about you know quality and, and reputation in the industry. You know, there's a lot of local publications that are based in our market that. Uh, that talk us up all the time. Okay. Um, you know, companies are interested in, in buying us all the time. I keep hearing that, you know, the, the ownership, you know, states over and over again that they, they don't want to sell. So, you know, we're so what's a large a, independent company. Gotcha. So what's a, maybe let's just touch on a considerable problem um, that okay. another part or another department might be struggling with where you're able to step in. I'm assuming because you're sitting in on meetings 
and then yeah. makes a light bulb go off and says like, hey, let's go out to lunch and talk about this. I'm assuming that's okay. what's going yeah. on. I mean, I'm, I'm really kind of like, yeah. um, y- you tell me. Yeah, so we work cross-functionally with a lot of departments. Um, you know, at one point we worked with the county to uh, implement an electronic AT process. You know, everything was in uh, in folders before in giant, like, you know, file cabinets and, uh-huh. uh, you know, stacked from the wall all the way up to the ceiling. And <laughs> even doing budgeting, like when, you know, I started doing budgeting, it was it was impossible to keep track of what was going on. Like, either I had to reach out to the vendor and be like, hey, can you provide me a spreadsheet of our spend? Uh-huh. I'm like, you know, digging through all these file cabinets for, Really? Uh, for invoices and yeah so now you know we have a um you know an ap process where you know like invoices are scanned uh it's referenced against the po um that information is referenced against our accounting database it's in a queue for three-way matching you know like po invoice receiver receipt and then mm-hmm. payment um and then we're starting to evolve that to handle shipping paperwork but now you know all that stuff is done electronically so we had to you know basically understand how the accounting process works and uh, basically help them, you know, drive the, the reasons for, for doing this. And, you know, everybody seems to love it. There's so many different use cases we're expanding this out to. And, um, you know, and again, the, the biggest challenge then is getting the, the buy-in and also, you know, tying in systems to work together so you can reference information together. You know, so what was, the, what, was the, what was the struggle there? Like, look, we get a piece of paper, we rubber stamp it, we file it off, and uh, it's obviously comes in through our bank ledger anyway, so that's how we're tracking it right now. Um, I mean, what was the, let's just kind of walk through that real quick and how did, you know, what was, was there a pushback? Was like, no, I mean, it's going to be a long time to kind of change this process. Or, and you're saying, but look at all the time spent here. You know, what, you know, what was it? Yeah, so I mean, the, the company does realize that, you know, we have to start using technology to address the uh, problems, basically. And, you know, um, you know, we can't just rely on, like, paper processes and things like that. So, and then there's other opportunities to, you know, move that further down the line. So, uh, just to be more efficient, um, it was pretty much, uh, you know, we partnered actually with the company that was selling us the solution, like, hey, help us write. Uh, the ROI, like how are we going to present this into a, a way that we can, you know, present it to a CFO, uh, a company controller, the board, things like that. So they did that, and uh, it helped us, you know, like prove the case, you know, that you know, uh, you know, and obviously all, all companies are working on RPA, like robotic process automation uh, uh-huh, uh-huh. projects, like that. So it was we we did, you know, we did obviously like with the process have some issues along the way. None of these yep. things are perfect, but. Uh, you know, getting the buy-in, I think, was uh, was not easy, but really able to be done because we had so much partnership within the company with the vendor and on the IT team. Right. And your ROI, when you guys went to... So you, you had someone help measure, I'm assuming you had someone come in and help measure mm-hmm. what? Labor hours, time spent, um, I'm assuming kind of all these other soft costs and put that into an equation and pop out a number at the bottom, you know, plus or minus 10% type of thing. Yeah, exactly, and it's kind of interesting because uh, we we rarely ever believe those numbers, <laughs> but there there is some kind of truth in between, you know, what the numbers that they present and and just doing it the old way. So, um, yeah. well, you know, I mean, at the well, same time too. Uh, oh, go ahead. In my simplistic world, I had to justify, you know, hiring a IT manager myself, and not, and in okay in. I had to justify, and how did I justify it? Well, look at all the time it takes me to 
I don't know, make changes to the website, to upload blog posts, to um, to clean up the audio on these files, to then uh, produce this podcast, then to put it up there, and for what? What mm-hmm. what does this do for me? These are like you know, I mean, honestly, they're ten dollar an hour tasks. So, I what could I be doing during the extra hour a day, in, at a bare minimum hour a day, uh, doing all these things? Is my hour worth? Is is my hour worth that? Absolutely not. It it could be producing one extra, you know, one more podcast which does this, which you know, there's um, mm-hmm. it, it's definitely a. Uh, it's definitely a, a good payback. Let's just put it that way. Um, but anyways, you mentioned That's at the good. beginning. Of the call, you mentioned at the beginning of the call. You, you well, first of all, you mentioned your product. You mentioned the quality mm-hmm. of your product and why people like it. And you had also briefly talked about sustainability uh, when we were talking earlier. So I know you want to talk about that a little bit. So I want to hear why IT should be concerned about sustainability, other than. I mean, obviously, it's you want to work for a company that is a good company and um, and, and things that are important. Yeah, exactly. I mean, uh, we've been pushing that narrative for a while too. And uh, just to give you a little bit of background, like, you know, we manufacture like fully cartons, labeled inserts, other packaging for primarily the pharmaceutical industry, also, you know, uh, consumer products. But uh, um, you know, we've worked with many of the largest brands in the world, smaller brands as well. It, you would recognize like most of the names, I'm sure. But uh, mm-hmm. over the years, we've had this huge push towards sustainability. And it's kind of interesting too, because as I read about it, I see how we've been doing that even before, you know, it's become headlines basically. So mm-hmm. none of this is new to us. We've been part of the Sustainable Forestry Initiative for uh, a long time. You may even see like commercials for them every now and then on TV. Um, mm-hmm. We create, uh, we have patents for products. Uh, we have like, Packaging that uh, uses vegetable-based inks. Um, packaging is completely biodegradable. So, uh, and I think about it too, like every piece of plastic that's ever been created, like still exists somewhere, whether it's yeah. in a landfill or in your basement or, you know, in your pantry and all these plastic bags you have jammed in there before you can get, remember to bring them to the grocery store. <laughs> but yeah. then, uh, you know, like, like the first paper, Legos, like, the first Legos ever made. <laughs> exactly. they all I was thinking Legos because I saw a guy on Craigslist that was selling his Lego collection for eight, his Lego collection for eight thousand um, oh, wow. dollars. This is a crazy. Every now and then, my kids need Legos, so it's like, do we buy a new set mm-hmm. for one hundred and fifty dollars? It's like one set, or do you go on Craigslist and buy it's like so a expensive. Tupperware bucket full? You know, of which they're yeah. selling by the pound now. Anyways, keep going. But yeah, the plastic. I mean, <laughs> it's it is. It's uh, it's around forever. Unless maybe yeah, so, burn it. You know, Unless maybe we melt it down and put some, you know, <laughs> make weird, more like weird black smoke <laughs> into the air. <laughs> yeah. So um, with, with paper, you know, you recycle it; it gets recycled. You know, you uh, you throw it away. It biodegrades. It doesn't harm the environment. This is part of a sustainable process. But then there's also like the production of all this stuff, right? It still takes time to like, or it still takes power to run the machines to. Yep. Uh, to make it, it still costs fuel to ship it. You know, paper is traditionally a lot heavier than plastic. That's why, you know, people mm-hmm. use plastic bags because it's just cheaper to send a bunch of plastic bags to the store instead of paper bags. Um, but, you know, we're, we're also working towards uh, sustainability internally. So, you know, we purchase power from wind farms. We're working towards uh, a carbon neutral footprint, you know, uh, potentially even a carbon negative footprint. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, we, you know, it's, you can see how like paper is more towards uh, the sustainable side of things. And overall it should be used as as often as it can be uh, in packaging for that reason. And does that, 
permeate throughout this, does does that permeate throughout the entire company? This this theme of sustainability and everyone's I mean everyone's bought into that. Yeah, I mean our our um, the CEO John like is really pushing it. Um, you know, especially with the, our sales or like relaunch of our new website is is heavy around sustainability and sustainable products that we uh, produce. So um, in the last few years, we've really really been making that push and. And obviously, you know, you know, there's there's obviously like a commercial reason because we want to be on that bandwagon. But I feel that we've been doing that for even much longer uh, than the uh, than the push to to have sustainable packaging products. Yes, yes. Um, well, you know, bandwagon or not, it's still a good thing. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, uh, bandwagon or not, I'd rather have sustainability maybe than you know not. So, but the fact. But how does it, but that also permeates through the rest of the, the company culture. And I, I speak with a lot of IT directors right. that say it's, um, you know, if you really want to be part of being successful in IT or part of, part of loving your job is being at a company that's growing fast or being at a company that, that you want to be at that, that um, respects IT and, um, you, know, you know, understands the, the power of it. Now, at the same time, again, years ago, you went on the, offensive. So do you have mm-hmm. any type of uh, planning or goal setting or things that, that go into your daily, weekly, monthly, even uh, quarterly kind of goal planning that has time set aside for cross communication? And, and what does that philosophy look like to you? Yeah, we do cross or, uh, basically pollinate, you know, <laughs> our ideas to, uh, to other departments. Um, you know, internally we meet at least every uh, couple of months. We review like you know tickets and projects, and we try to get um, you know everybody in line to, as to what we're doing and uh, shift priorities, which changes constantly, as you know. Um, but yeah, you know, we we try to reach out as well, and it's not just me like doing that as well. Like our network admin, um, even uh, we're actually down a person right now. We had somebody that managed our help desk and uh, did a lot of application support, like picked up a lot of the applications that we use on the, on the production side. So everybody really has that responsibility. It's not just me. So we have, we have a really good team that, uh, is able to communicate those things and really understands how to, uh, uh, you know, not just talk tech speak, but understand how people, uh, you know, can use technology to, to their benefit, you know, why we're doing things and, you know, how it's going to benefit them. So, What's the number one thing that overall, pops out in your head? The conversation that you guys have the most. What, what's the number one thing that pops out in your head? Or let me put it this way. What's your single mm-hmm. biggest frustration, problem, and or concern? And what do you do to, to solve that? Like right now, let's just use it as an example. Like maybe what's your biggest, um, you know, what's your biggest concern right now? And, and uh, you know, whether it be shadow IT or whatever it is, what's your biggest <laughs> concern and how are you communicating it? Yeah, shadow IT, because, like, you know, most people are just going to think that uh, the whole IT department is interchangeable, so they're, they're just going to bring in the first person they see into a meeting about a, a whole, you know, great big idea that they have. And, you know, um, I try to, you know, I'd like to at least know about it at some point so that we can bring it into alignment with, uh, you know, number one, the, the IT strategy and how it serves the overall business. And this um, idea like that... of our the idea is it the, does the idea involve software or does it involve like, you know, how, how does it, it involve you? Because you mentioned priorities shift constantly too. So I'm assuming that yeah. this is how it could happen. <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. Like, you know, we get, uh, 
you know, we could, we could, we could run through all of our open projects and our like highest priority, you know, long-term tickets, things like that. I would say, uh, I could ask like, you know, which are these, which of these are the most important and you know, get the response that they all are. And uh, it's interesting too, that I was, I was just reading a book, almost finished with it by uh, Roger A. Grimes, a uh, data-driven computer mm-hmm. uh, security defense. And it's a great book. And he describes exactly that, how, you know, uh, the priorities just shift constantly. And when it comes to especially the security, you know, he asks people like, you know, what are your major threat vectors and, uh, and things like that. And it can also apply to just general IT, you know, what's the most important thing I should be working on? And <laughs> the answer is yes. <laughs> but it's really hard to, to get around, you know, like, you know, what should I be doing first? Um, what's most important. So, um, but I would say too, that the staff meeting, since now we're involved with the overall strategy of the company, you know, then I can, can, make that an open discussion. Like, Hey, this is the things that these are the things that we're working on. Um, and we need some feedback as to what needs to be done first and then watch people throw punches. <laughs> what's, um, what's a long-term ticket to you? Oh, <laughs> it was kind of interesting too. Cause like initially, uh, we, we only deployed a, a ticket system like, like four years ago. Wow. You know, by before then it was all email and I got tired of hearing every so often feedback like, Hey, this is not being fixed. And uh, yeah, yeah. You, you know, you, there was no paper trail, no discussion, no calls about, you know, this thing being down. So now we, we uh-huh. had to basically re-engineer, um, we changed the culture around, you know, you log a ticket when there's something wrong, you know, right. you let a supervisor know so they can do that or they can just do it. Directly. Like don't just like come by um, the desk or don't just shoot me an email. How long did it take for that to yeah. change? How long did it take you? I mean, cause I'm sure you still get emails. I mean, I talk with some people. I did an interview with this, with uh, Leslie Cawthorn. He said, I get, I get Snapchat tickets. <laughs> like, it's not a ticket, I but I get Snapchatted. <laughs> <laughs> I, la- I was in my car driving home on the tollway and I was just laughing when I heard that one. He sent me a um, couple examples. He's like, please don't post us, but just to show you that it's true. <laughs> <laughs> Um, you know and like they have their snapchat like name which is not their real name it's some other different like some kind of crazy character or something you know and he's getting a ticket from that it just it was wild we got all sorts of funny tickets we had tickets that you know people open and then they never (laughs) they never respond to so like hey you know can you provide a uh, screenshot of the air something that can help us Mm -hmm. um you know just you ask for information that you need to help troubleshoot sometimes too like people don't even they're they fix their own problem, but in, an emo- in a moment of impatience, they send a ticket through? Yeah, or they, uh, they, they think it's stranger even asking them like a question. Why don't you just come and fix it? I'm like, well, you know, if you, a lot, some of the questions are framed to help narrow down. If it's something on your side, on our side, you understand. Like, yeah, yeah. Um, we should just do a ticket show. Maybe I'll do a ticket show. Let's just do a show of like, you know, we'll have like, you know... <laughs> 10 IT directors on will be like, okay, um, uh, craziest ticket you ever got or dumbest ticket ever or funniest ticket you've ever received, go and we'll vote on, we'll vote on which one's mm-hmm. the worst. Uh, <laughs> <It's> a, <laughs> we we probably can't so do much. that though. We probably can't do that because then people will be like, yeah, there is a, such a thing as a stupid ticket. Absolutely there is. And there is such a thing as a stupid <laughs> question. I, I, I hate to break that to you, but there is. <laughs> no, but you, but you have to ask yeah. it, but please ask it. <laughs> Um, yeah, but we have we have like tickets that are waiting on vendors to reply to, so they just sit there forever. Or, you know, oh, interesting. We, we do our due diligence. We follow up on them, but like, so you know, talk to me know. about that because that's a third party. That's someone outside. What do you mean you have a ticket that mm-hmm. you're waiting for a vendor to reply to? In other words, 
I don't know, maybe uh, we're waiting for an old phone system vendor to make a change to something and he took two weeks too long. I mean, what, what are we talking about? Can, give me a vendor example because these are the ones that are exciting for me. So yeah, we have a particular piece of software that uh, <laughs> I won't name, but uh, it's kind of, I call it ticket hell because not only do oh we have gosh. a ticket for it internally in our system from our users, but um, it's based on, you know, an issue that we have to log externally in another ticket, you know, online portal. <laughs> and then they have internal tickets that they have to reference because they're using like Jira and like, you know, some other product here. <laughs> so it gets, it gets like forwarded to three different tickets systems. Mm. And, uh, you know, it just kind of like slowly, mm. you know, loses traction until it's halted. And then you got to find out, you know, where it stopped and what ticket system and, and oh pick it up gosh. from there. And, so ticket hell. Uh, yeah. Ticket hell. You know. This sounds like a, I haven't written this email yet, but I got this crazy email, daily email blast too as well. But this one's going to be, I had some, I had some, I, okay, put it this way. I had some international, to put it very quickly, I had some international tickets, plane tickets mm-hmm. that I bought non-refundable. No problem, right? Like there's, I can't foresee any reason why, come any reason why I would not get on this plane, even if I was sick or whatever. I cannot possibly think of any reason why this, why I would not get on this plane. And what's the one reason that I did not see coming? I did not see coronavirus. <laughs> I did not see the coronavirus oh, yeah. blocking me from traveling to another country. And I immediately went into ticket hell. I went into ticket hell because now I've got to call this company. Well, we didn't see this happening. You get transferred from one department to the next to opening up a ticket to this department. It's, it's uh, going on 48 hours now or something of, of bouncing back and forth. But so you have your own ticket that you're managing that has a ticket mm-hmm. with a vendor's ticketing system that you have to enter in a ticket. And then they have their own internal ticketing process that they have to track as well. Right. That's, that's the definition of ticket hell. Um, or ticket purgatory or something along those lines. Per, yeah. Okay. Purgatory. I like that too. Cause you can get out of it. Cause you can get out of it. <laughs> Eventually. <laughs> you, you can get out of ticket purgatory, but ticket hell you can't ever get out of. So, right. I don't know if Ticket Hell does Ticket Hell exist. Let's see, Purgatory. Yeah. All right. We have so, a ticket open right now that's over a year old with that vendor. So um, that's we just kill that. We just that person gets killed. That vendor gets killed off. And we're just, we're, he's we're just waiting for hell. all of us to retire. Yeah. <laughs> it is possible that a ticket could go to hell and never get answered, and that vendor gets right. fired. So, uh, how long does a ticket take to get out of Purgatory? on a very, like the worst ticket ever, like the baddest ticket. How long has that ticket been in purgatory on, on, in your, in your, from your perspective point of view? Oh, um, you know, some of them could be months old and it's because oh we're gosh. waiting for like some kind of like, uh, yeah, some kind of, um, you know, application upgrade or, uh, you know, we're, we're, or we're like pushing for something because, you know, the users can oh, like a roadmap, like a roadmapped item or something. Exactly. Yeah, and, we try to go through those and filter them out as long as we know that it's just that we're not going to get an immediate answer. Um, okay. And uh, then, then it goes into a uh, <laughs> a OneNote notebook le- uh, called "No Tickets Left Behind," <laughs> where uh, <laughs> we <laughs> we, uh, we eventually try to follow up on them. See, this is where these things go. Sometimes this is just this right here is the best. The other thing that we could do is a show that's like all the different metaphors and names for things. And I just wanted you to know for a, I have been writing down all your metaphors so far, which is oh, really? okay. That's great. You know, all, first of all, olive branch. 
Um, that uh-huh. that's one. You know, Olive Branch is good. I, I haven't heard that yet. Uh, no tickets left behind. Definitely have not heard that saying. That's <laughs> outstanding. Ticket hell, ticket purgatory. What else did we have in here? Mm-hmm. Going on the offensive. That's good. Ooh, pollinating. Mm-hmm. I like pollinating. IT pollinating. That's good. Yeah. I just imagine this, like, you know, IT, like, bee flying around, dropping, like, yellow dust on things, on, on any <laughs> Just ideas, you know, like, <laughs> like technology is, is the answer. Yeah. This is the show. We got a lot of them here, you know? So, again, ticket purgatory, ticket hell. No, lift, no ticket left behind pollinating olive branch that, that's what you've that's what you have uh, given to the listeners of this show so far so oh that's great yeah so are you telling me we went to paper though for no ticket left behind and it's a little flip notebook that costs like 99 cents at the dollar store <laughs> no it's a it's a, like a one note notebook i just i keep them in the back of my head because uh okay <laughs> um i like one note too because when i'm searching for things um other stuff comes up and it could be like, you know, take a left behind or some other area. And I'm like, and of course you get distracted, but then you're like, Oh yeah, you know, this would be something good to follow up on at some point. So, you know, one uh, note I, people, I one note people, yeah, people love one. Note. <laughs> if you're a one note guy, one you're note a one note awesome. guy. I mean, you are. Yeah. Um, I've had people that are like, you know, one note, one note, one note. I've been at conferences and people are talking about one note. I'm like, okay. I mean, okay, I get it. But the people that are, that use one note, they're like, you know, adamant about it like no you you should Can I say something about one note too yes i uh I, the one thing that blew, blew me away like i know this, this happened years ago but like see what i say see uh, what i mean you you're obsessive about this <laughs> <laughs> go ahead go ahead i, can't stop. I have to tell Good. everyone go so tell me so no I, you're uh, not allowed to say it. no now i must stop no <laughs> go go <laughs> if you uh if you if you actually write notes like I do on a surface every now and then. I like to write notes so I have them more like, you know, tight and have them written. So you use um, like a dongle. OCR. What do we call that? Like a dongle or you're writing with a dongle on a, on a notepad, the, the pen, the digital pen thing. Oh yeah. I think Microsoft pen. Um, okay. but, uh, okay. anyways, yes. So I, I just, I write and it'll, it'll do OCR in the background, but it actually like, so you can actually, when you search for things, it'll search your handwriting for, you know, what you've written. Just, I'm doing the mind blow thing right now. Search your handwriting. <laughs> It does, yeah. It works pretty well too. The OCR has gotten so much better than it has um, since the first version. I wonder if there's but, um, an actual singular yeah. person responsible for that idea. Not that it's like a oh man, I I'd buy him a beer for sure. We should find that person. That, yeah. that would, chances of them hearing the show are probably slim to none, but you never know. Someone might know. Um, Okay, so now that we've gone past one note, you know that might just be this. This might just be the highlight of the show, uh, Ticket Hell. How um, <laughs> the again? I don't think I ever really got the answer of the year, though. By the way, what's the answer of the year that you guys stepped out of cost center into buy-in? And do you think that, that should that be a turning point? So this might be again. This is getting into IT philosophy, but. Mm-hmm. Is there a cutoff year that if you have not changed from IT being a cost center by this year, mentality-wise, thought-wise, um, you're behind the curve? What year do you think IT stopped becoming a cost center? And of, of course, it's industry-specific and company-specific, but I do believe right. that if you're still kind of stuck in a cost center and your your excuse is, well, it's my company, then I think it, that the good chance that that company's behind or getting oh, ready to absolutely. close up shop. Yeah. Or, or they're just going to outsource, you know, all or most of the jobs to an MSP 
because uh, the MSPs know how to do that that level of speak to to the business side. They do, um, you know. They come in and they and they yeah, because they they come in and they say. Uh, uh, and there's very levels of MSPs. There's some that just do infrastructure, but there's some that actually like you know can do entire solutions and help you with your migration to the cloud. And they make everything sound really, really good. And I'm not bashing MSP. MSPs are are great. They're huge growth. We use them internally for things that we do. Um, but yeah, if you're focusing mainly on infrastructure, then uh, yeah, you're just going to get rolled over at some point. Unless that's like you're you're you know in a mid to size to large company, that's your role. You know that's what they need you for. This, from the security standpoint alone, you need infrastructure people, uh, whether you're in the cloud or, or premise based. So, um, but yeah, like smaller shops where you kind of have to address both needs, um, you you better better well get on board with uh, you know proving ROI and, and speaking from a business case and uh, being very proactive instead of just reactive on things. So, those mm-hmm. are the things that I get feedback on. That, you know, the IT just basically needs to. And so, like, you know, you obviously you need to have it from both sides. You need to be willing to, to make that transition. You also have to have a management that supports it. So uh, when that happens, then I think that's the best case scenario. Do you think startups nowadays, do you think a big part of new startups and companies that start up, start up automatically with a big, a much heavier technology? I mean, I think it's probably, the answer is probably an obvious yes, but... Um, uh, do you think new startups even have that problem of technology as a cost center? No, lean I think, and mean. Uh, they might, they're lean and mean, but I mm-hmm. think, you know, their, their whole foundation might be technology to begin with. So. Yeah, exactly. Like when I think of startup, I think of like all the tech companies that have showed up in the last two years. I don't have any like startup packaging companies. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, those are kind of like well entrenched and consolidating institutions. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that'd be interesting. Yeah, I haven't really heard of too many. Uh, you know, does the Amazon does, it, does Amazon affect you guys at all? Are they a help or a hindrance with you? I mean, does anyone talk about the Amazon effect over you know with you guys since you're in packaging? Oh, absolutely. Okay. Yeah, because you know instead of like uh, you know buying products that are on shelves that require like big fancy boxes, you know they uh, the big fancy boxes you know like what you see on the screen. So they uh-huh. may need a, a different type of packaging. You know, obviously like. Uh, pharma products need uh, to be encased in different types of like packaging, whether it's like a pill bottle or you know, know foil or, or something, yeah, yeah. like that. Uh-huh. Yeah, uh-huh. just all, all sorts of different things that are just even beyond just pill bottles. But um, yeah, so like this changes our strategy where we look to uh, produce packaging for companies that sell online um, that would fit in an Amazon type box, and you know how it's going to be best stacked in there for like multiple, uh, you know you put more than one package in a box and things like that. So we actually have a design group too, that works with, with companies, uh, small, large on, on their packaging needs. And, uh, part of our patents are some of the designs we've come up with for, you know, different types of boxes and shells and things like that. So yeah, yeah. certainly the, the Amazon effect affects everyone, like every business because they're involved in everything really just, you know, I, I, I can't remember what it is or like, what is it? 48 cents of every dollar is spent on Amazon or some, something really absurd. Online. Yeah. They're close to like half of all online sales, if not more by now. Absolutely insane. Um, if you had any piece of advice to give it to anyone out there listening, you've been at a, a company for 15 years. Uh, there's mm-hmm. people out there that have not been at a company for 15 years or IT directors that may... It, may or may not be living the dream, so to speak. 
Should mm-hmm. they start internally at their own company or should they be looking for anything specific? Oh, yeah. I mean, internally, they all, in their own company, that'd be the first place um, to start. You know, I would, I would say don't let the job kill you. I mean, there's like so many different ways it can mm-hmm. get to you. So, you know, there's, there's always a path to where you want to be. What's killing, what's killing IT directors? What could kill you? Oh, it's just the barrage of, um, you know, digitalization, all these different products, the complexity. Like, you know, if you, if you deploy like a, a Windows machine, like a Windows XP machine versus like a Windows 10 computer with all these different like settings and, you know, uh, like Drew policy configurations, it's way more complex than it used to be. And then you're working cross-functionally, um, you know, like, you know, MSPs are knocking down your door to either, you know, try to tell you how to do things better or take over mm-hmm. like the whole position as it is. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it's just, uh, and then, you know, like ransomware, security, just keeping your own training up to date, things like that. Um, so but the advice I'd give is to, you know, there's always a path to where you want to be. So, you know, you work with executive management, make the business case as to why you need support, you know, why you would need more funding, uh, more people, or why you would want to work with a, an external vendor or a managed service provider, maybe take over a portion of, uh, needs to be willing to do that too. Like, you know, if, if you just can't handle the security, if you're a one man show and your company's growing, mm. um, you know, consider working with a managed service provider that can like you know, handle some functions or you can maybe pay them for their expertise or time and material, you know, there's, there's different ways to fit it within your own requirements. But um, I would say also have your executive management um, clarify their expectations so that you know what to bring to the table to support their goals. Um, I would say like, keep pushing things that are important, like um, security, security awareness training, you know, uh, digital processes, being involved with the overall strategy of the company, uh, work with your stakeholders. Um, one thing that I, I remember from my uh, management course I took was uh, somebody said to learn how to influence people without being manipulative, which I thought was a really good takeaway. <laughs> because you, know, uh, you, you need can, you to you influence can, people genuinely and be a good person, uh, not try to manipulate and lie <laughs> to them. And yeah, that's a, <laughs> common exactly. sense. No, like <laughs> yeah, there's, there's ways you can just like you know you can prod without seeming like, seeming like you're prodding. Like, hey, no, I think this is a great idea. I think you should consider it. Um, you know, hey, would you like me to demo this product? Would you like to see how this works? Would you like to see what I'm doing? Mm. Um, you know, do lunch and learns on you know uh, how you use. OneNote <laughs> and all these other applications that you love to use. Let me start um, this conversation by that. saying that I am a highly biased individual towards this program, mm-hmm. OneNote, and I really want <laughs> you to use it, and that's why we're talking today. <laughs> but I'm going to exactly. give you free lunch, <laughs> and I'm going to be about as right. honest and upfront as, and non-manipulative as possible. I'm just going to be real upfront and honest with you guys. <laughs> uh, we're going to be rolling this out. <laughs> no. um, uh, that's great. Oh um, yeah, but yeah, the free lunch is key too. If you want people to uh, show up to your training, you have yeah. to provide free lunch. I never turn down a free lunch. I think that's like a nope. like an ingrained, I don't know, like a philosophy to me or something. But I I just won't turn down a free lunch, uh, especially if it's yeah. you know like burritos. I think it's probably a good one. Oh yeah, you know, let's <laughs> see. Burritos are awesome. You know, well yes, you know, or the the taco bar. Let's see, that's another good example. <laughs> and um so yeah and always leverage your vendors to provide the free lunch and learn as well absolutely like, hey go, look you guys are going to get about a few seconds of talk at the end here you got to bring lunch stand around for an hour um, yeah. 
<laughs> no. uh, thank you very much for being on the show today. I think the, the highlight, yeah, the highlight is definitely a ticket hell purgatory and the numerous <laughs> metaphors that are, are such a generous gift to us all. I just think about that. I'm glad I could do my part. Yes, it was awesome.